Every week, Hillsdale College President Larry Arn joins Hugh Hewitt to discuss great books, great men, and great ideas. This is the Hillsdale Dialogues, presented by Hillsdale College. To find more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, and Ricochet. Bonjour, hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt. I'm coming back from vacation early. Actually, I pre-taped this with Dr. Larry Arn last week before I went on vacation because we are diving in in the Churchill series to great contemporaries. Dr. Larry Arn is president of Hillsdale College. This is the Hillsdale Dialogue. All things Hillsdale are found at hillsdale.edu. All of these previous conversations are found at iTunes and Spotify or HughForHillsdale.com. Just Google Hillsdale Dialogue, you'll find them. Dr. Ryan, I've been waiting a long time to talk with you about this book, Great Contemporaries. This may be the first Churchill book I read, actually read, and it was because it was fun and easy, and in my history period, maybe I read the history of the English-speaking people first, but I think it may be Great Contemporaries. Before we start into Great Contemporaries, tell us about the book and what you think of it. Uh, well, the book is uh, the collection of a bunch of essays and newspaper articles that he wrote about various people he knew. He was interested in people. And and the book is delicious because here's a man of prudence, of supreme practical wisdom, evaluating and talking about peers and so you see the elements. It's, it's almost like reading Plutarch. Uh, it's uh, it it uh, like uh, the f- uh, we're going to talk about Lord Rosebery today and and uh, and Joseph Chamberlain, two of Churchill's elders, both of whom were much involved with Churchill's father, and he evaluates them. Always, it's an interesting point. Kindly, yes. He he criticizes them a lot, but kindly and he dwells upon their virtues and he's inviting you to understand both the virtues and the deficiencies so you can become a student of politics and of your country and, of and so it's like a prim- oh yeah it's uh he's uh uh he's very interested in that subject of course that's a fundamental subject for everybody to be interested in and he he knew these wonderful people and he and you know uh, the deficiencies of these two that we're going to talk about today. He loved and admired them, and he points out their deficiencies sharply. You know, Chamberlain gets his up. whole hour next week, Doctor Arn. We're only doing Roseberry today because we can't do Chamberlain in under an hour, and Roseberry is going to be hard enough as it is. Which is why I'm using the first segment to set this up. I want you to comment on Churchill's ability to be friends of the highest order with older men. You know, he's a young man when he's talking to Roseberry. He's a young man when he meets Joseph Chamberlain. So it's really kind of an important subtext in this that younger people have to seek out older people to learn what they know. It's uh, so first of all, there's a humility in that. And uh, it's, you know, I, I actually think that Winston Churchill was in a certain way, a humble man. But uh, that, in other words, uh, these people when when he wrote these essays, these people were not important anymore. And and uh, and he had to do with Joe Chamberlain. He had con- direct conflict 
with Joe Chamberlain. The first great conflict of his life was with Joseph Chamberlain. And of course, then Joseph Chamberlain had two sons, half-brothers, Neville Chamberlain, the Winston Churchill story is much wrapped up with him, and and Austin Chamberlain, with whom Churchill got along better, and uh, who was, uh, I, I love to quote Churchill, but it's not really a quote of Churchill. Uh, I, it's Austin Chamberlain who said, uh, a French finance minister wrote him and said, are you coming to the conference? And Austin Chamberlain writes back, no, Winston is going. If you keep a dog, you don't have to bark yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we got to talk about no. Rosebery first. Rosebery okay. succeeded as prime minister to the grand old man, Gladstone, the G-O-M, grand old man. Now, our audience may not know who Lord Rosebery is, because even in 1939, Churchill writes, when he died, his name and actions had faded entirely from the public mind. It's true of almost everybody that that happens, but it happened rather cruelly to Lord Rosebery. Do you have much sympathy for this character who is really not cut out to follow Gladstone? Well, first of all, I love this guy. He's a great guy. He's, I, I don't love Joseph Chamberlain, although he too was a kind of a great guy. But, uh, and, 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 but Rosebery was, he was a gentleman. He was brilliant. He had the right idea about everything, and he just didn't have the spit to stay in it. And, you know, it takes more spit today. I mean, I have all these people who are setting off to run for pr pr uh, president. Remind me not to say bad things about them. because I, You, you will not have to be reminded often. You and I have been in Switzerland for so long. He says about Lord Rosebery at one point, had Rosebery possessed Mr. Stanley Baldwin's phlegmatic capacity of putting up with a score of unpleasant and even humbling situations in order to be master of something very big at the end of a blue moon, he would have indeed been not only a prophet, but a judge in Israel. Now, that's an amazing sentence, right? That is Winston Churchill at his full power as a writer, summoning up the Old Testament to tell us what he had and didn't have, communicating with an audience that would have understood what he meant by that. But I don't think the modern American audience will. Yeah, well, uh, you know, the judges were rulers of Israel and the prophets were people who talked to the rulers of Israel and often weren't listened to. Uh, but, yeah, and I love the reference, at the end of a blue moon. Yes. That's a way of saying, who knows when? Who knows when it will work out? And see... It's an interesting thing about Stanley Baldwin. Uh, Churchill was in contest with Stanley Baldwin for much of his life, and he never had a direct conflict with Stanley Baldwin where Stanley Baldwin did not win. He always beat Churchill. And he, it, there are a lot of reasons. That's amazing to me. But, but he gets a jab in here, the phlegmatic quality of Stanley Baldwin. Yeah, well, he, you couldn't box with Church, him. He wouldn't fight with you. Well, that's right. And he maneuvered and he always, I mean, it's amazing, consistent story how he did. Uh, and and it's only when Baldwin was gone that Chamberlain fell, the war broke out, and that's how Churchill became prime minister. But uh, yeah, and see, uh, uh, Stanley Baldwin could hold his tongue extremely well. He had a common touch. He's kind of a common man. Uh, Rosebery was aristocratic, uh, 
and and he was not made, Churchill makes the point, for the age of fierce democracy, fighting fiercely. Right. He did not believe he, right. he hated the wire pullers, I think is his term. Yeah, and you know, Churchill too hated that. And so in a lot of this, Churchill is talking about himself. Yes. Now Chir- Churchill was Churchill, if if you we should, if you read this and enjoy it, this essay, you should also go read Arthur Balfour. Oh, we will do that. Arthur oh, Balfour. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was an, he's he's like Lord Rosebery in some ways, and like you know, and Churchill fought with him fiercely. Balfour beat him. It, it's a uh, Balfour who said of Churchill, he has a heavy but not a very mobile artillery. Uh, <laughs> That's really one of the best, one of the, you don't want to be on the receiving end of the Churchill barrage, but if he's got the target wrong, he's defending the abdication or invading against the abdication, he's hitting the wrong target. Yeah, and see, Baldwin just kicked his tail about that. And Roseberry didn't have the stomach for that. Oh, I should say, uh, Roseberry was much Churchill's elder, and so he came to appreciate Churchill's qualities at a time when it didn't matter politically much. I mean, uh, uh, Rosebery didn't matter politically much. Baldwin appreciated Churchill's qualities all along. And that's one reason why he was so effective with them and against them. And and, uh, he knew what he had there, and he knew what kind of man he was. And, and, uh, And so when... Uh, is there a great contemporaries about Stanley Baldwin? We should probably read no. There that is one not. There is not. Yeah, because there this are... is the this is the bridge book between um, Churchill's history of the English speaking people. Great contemporaries takes us from the eighteen nineties, the eighteen eighties, up to the Great War, and we will get to the Great War in a few weeks and the the world crisis, the six volumes of it. But this is really we're, we're going from Victorian figures like Roseberry up to the Kaiser. Right. There is a, a great contemporary Kaiser here. And what's fascinating, Dr. Arne, you through Martin Gilbert and I to Richard Nixon are six degrees vertically separated from everybody in the world. Because Winston Churchill <laughs> knew everybody in the world. We'll be right back, America. Don't go anywhere. On the new episode of The Larry Arn Show, Hillsdale College President Larry Arn sits down with theology professor Jordan Wales and computer science professor John Seifert for a roundtable discussion. What are, are there dangers? What are they? Because it's useful means, yes, it can't be stopped because it's the, the, the companies, the next level agents doing the technological advances. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's good. A hundred years ago, we switched, switched over from artisan craftsmen making our things to assembly lines. And that was more efficient, it was more productive, but it changed how humans were in the world instead of having the furniture in your house made by the craftsman down the road and having that person have that job. We now have a different relationship and a different arrangement. The the kinds of dangers that we want to look at with artificial intelligence are, are similar to other sorts of industrial automation type dangers. Listen to this exclusive roundtable right now, only available on The Larry Arn Show. Find it on the Hillsdale College Podcast Network at podcast.hillsdale.edu or wherever you get your audio and subscribe to receive new episodes delivered right to your device. That's podcast.hillsdale.edu.
Welcome back, America. The great contemporary first hour is underway with Dr. Larry on the Hillsdale Dialogue. All of them are collected at QForHillsdale.com or Hillsdale.edu, all things Hillsdale, Hillsdale.edu. Dr. Arn, you mentioned that Lord Rosebery, who we're talking about, much older than Churchill. Churchill writes, Lord Rosebery was probably my father's greatest friend, contemporaries at Eton and Oxford. Okay, that's a comment on the Victorian governing class, because they're in two different parties, and they battle constantly. We'll come back to this with Chamberlain when Churchill next week says about Chamberlain, the, the English tradition of politics not invading private life. That is very evident here, right? This is just a friend in the aristocracy talking to each other, even though they disagree in public. That's why uh, one should be reluctant to prosecute one's political enemies, because they're not really enemies, they're opponents. And, and Churchill was very, you know, and to say a word for Donald Trump, he was asked, I can remember it like it was yesterday, the day his first press conference uh, uh, as president after he was elected, are we going to prosecute Hillary? He said, no, no, that's over. You see, in other words, you don't, you don't want to put your opponents in jail. And, and you don't want to even threaten to do that unless they do something really awful. And, you know, maybe Donald Trump attempted a coup to take over the government of the United States. I don't believe it. First of all, it was a very poor attempt. And, well, Lindsey Graham uh, said so, uh, he pities anyone attempting to prove conspiracy Donald Trump because that requires a plan. Yeah, yeah. Well, and see, that's that's clever. And, you know, I don't, you're a lawyer and I have the honor not to be, but uh, I remember reading the autobiography of Clarence Darrow. Remember that guy? Uh, yes, of course. Scopes. Great, great lawyer. And there's a long passage in there against conspiracy charges as crimes. Because all that is is people talking to each other. And, and the underlying crime is what you should prosecute if they do something, right? Like the so people who entered I, the I, Capitol. They're being prosecuted. Yeah, that, they are, right? And, you know, too many of them I read are held without bail. But, uh, yeah, they should. That's right. That uh, they they went trespassing. Right. That's a crime. They should be prosecuted for that. And and, uh, you know, and they should be prosecuted vigorously, I think. You, but how vigorously. Right. And this goes to what I was talking about with Chris Christie two weeks ago. The prosecution of Donald Trump is not good for American politics. Because that which gets rewarded gets repeated. And if we reward political prosecutors in Atlanta and Manhattan and special councils, we'll get more of it. And if we get more of it, you end up with, I mean, there are very few famous trials of public fear. The Hastings impeachment is about the one that only comes to mind, right? There are very few in British political history. Yeah, and that, you know, that was Edmund Burke, a very great man. And... He did that because he thought that uh, Hastings had stolen from a people who had no outlet except defense in Britain, the Indians, right? And he, he, uh, he, he wanted to put a stop to that. And he actually had a serious effect in that direction, even though he never convicted Warren Hastings. 
But it's just, so, it, was, it stands out because it's so rare. The British do not do this. They do not prosecute their former prime ministers. That's it. And you, you, you don't, I mean, you know, in the, the, there, there came a time uh, not long after the founding of the Soviet Union where the Politburo members made a pact that they weren't going to kill each other anymore. Because <laughs> it was... <laughs> it didn't last long. Well, you know, it was, you know, but I mean, what, they, they shot a couple of guys in a Politburo meeting, as I recall. Yes, and Beria so, was kind of ruthless. That, that It's disrupting our relations. <laughs> we do that. <laughs> and, and, don't, so, don't go anywhere, America. I'm coming right back, because we're going to talk about what happened to British politics at the end of the 19th century, why it matters to us so much, and why Lord Roseberry ain't coming back. Uh, because that was then and this is now and we're looking back at what might have been but can never be again welcome back america my favorite line i've quoted it there are very few quotes i can remember dr arn has a few go-to quotes and i've got one as well about lord roseberry i've carried with me for 40 years since i read this book he would not stoop he did not conquer. And I use that in reference to people who disdain the gritty business of politics, which is raising money and knocking on doors. And our old late friend, Tom Fuentes, used to say, if you won't come to the party grassroots events, you don't deserve to be elected to anything. And you got to come for free because that is people who would stoop and those therefore people who would conquer. Roseberry would not stoop. He didn't conquer. And American politics... I think we're getting to a point where nobody stoops, Dr. Arn. Everybody goes to green rooms. Do you, do, you, do you get what I'm getting at? Nobody will engage with oh, people yeah. anymore. So it turns out that uh, Churchill paid directly the compl- compliment that he stooped to conquer to the first Duke of Marlborough. Oh. He stooped, he stooped to conquer. That's in Marlborough, His Life and Times. And 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 Churchill very much believed in that. If you read uh, Churchill's essay in Thoughts and Adventures on uh, election stories, you know he he he, he describes in this Roseberry issue uh, uh, chapter things Roseberry didn't want to do, which was mostly go out on the hustings with people calling, catcalling him and stuff. Well, Churchill did that. He loved that. He was good at that too. And it wore on him some, too, but he would, you know, when he, uh, you know, uh, if I were your wife, I would poison your coffee. If I were your husband, I would drink it, right? You know, he's pretty good. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. I have not heard that oh, one. That's a good uh, let me Betsy let me read Brad. you about Roseberry, because this goes to statesmanship, of which a primary concern is Hillsdale College's Kirby Center and undergraduate It was in the sphere of foreign affairs, Churchill writes, that Roseberry found his home. Here he was master. He combined the knowledge of the historian or a foreign office official with the practical understanding and the habit of command of a statesman. He did not have to form his views from the files of papers set before him. How rare that is today, Dr. Arndt. So foreign affairs draws statesmen. Party machinery, at least in the late 19th century, didn't. Well, I don't know. It drew Winston Churchill. And uh, Winston Churchill thought that with Aristotle, with any sensible person, thinks that domestic policy is higher than foreign policy. 
uh, foreign policy is more urgent. But, you know, is the purpose, I mean, the, the, the Spartans, who Aristotle criticizes later, he, he, he corrects it some, who thought that courage was the only virtue. And everybody was a soldier all their lives, every man. Well, he was, they were very cautious about war, partly because they were a slave society and they couldn't have their army go far away from Sparta, but also it cost a lot and, and they can't replace their losses. So, uh, you know, you'll, if you want to read anti-war literature, when we get to the world crisis, we'll read the greatest. Yes. That's Winston Churchill. The first volume. And the very first volume is so anti-war. Yeah, all of it is, really. And, Do- and uh, the, the solution, by the way, this is my complaint about Ukraine. Um, and see, it's a, you know, I have friends, including one famous journalist, and that person threw up Winston Churchill at me the other day. Oh, no, mistake. Mistake. I said, well, you know, maybe, maybe I know something about that. <laughs> and and uh, I am embarking on, and see, I you know, I'm not an expert on Ukraine. And, you know, apart from being annoyed by you every week, I, I, I'm not a news hound. I, you know, I read the paper every day. I never watch TV news, never. And, and, uh, and so, you know, do I even know what's going on? I've got a college to run, and I love to run it. And so, however, right, if you, what, what sparked me on this train, which you said about Roseberry, he doesn't just, you know, he has an idea. He's studied and thought a long time. And he's got a reservoir of knowledge to bring to the situations that come before him. And, and uh, you know, I, I had somebody who's a learned person, a journalist, write me not long ago and said, uh, Russia has always been perfidious. And I said, yeah, okay. What did they do in 1914 except save the world, right, at, at their own cost to keep an agreement with Britain and France? Oh, what did the they journalist rushed. say in response to that? Well, you know, he he didn't know. Well, you, and, you see, and, Doctor, I talked to Steve Krakauer this week about his book, Uncovered. He is of the opinion that journalism has degraded significantly in terms of curiosity and knowledge base. And I agree with him. I think talking heads don't read very much. And as a result, they're not going to know about 1914. They're probably not even going to have read... The Guns of August, which is kind of like the de minimis effort to understand 1914. If you haven't read the first volume of the World Crisis, you won't understand 1914. You won't get 1911 to 1914. Everything going on today uh, is heavily influenced by the events of 1914, right? So Russia had two generations of the Soviet Union, and Russia has always been a mess, an authoritarian mess, and not well-governed with flashes of good governance here and there. But it's, it's always been a certain kind of thing. And, and Churchill, you know, with Stalin having an, ar- an army that could sweep to the English Channel in two weeks, and that was true for 10 years after the Second World War, with that army, he always believed they're more likely to act like Russians than they are like communist internationalists. 
And so he didn't think they would do it. He thought the atomic bomb was the, was the big reason we had to stop them doing it. But, you know, what was the argument between Stalin and Trotsky? Uh, you know, I think Putin, by the way, is more like Stalin, which is not a very good thing to be. No, but, but, but limited in his aspirations. He's a Russian nationalist, right? And and that's good. I don't want to govern Russia. And if the Russians were my, where would I go here? I'm getting off the screen, and everybody wants to see me, right? Yes, they do. Um, yeah, he uh, uh, he he. Uh, I I don't want to govern Russia, and I don't want us to govern Russia. I want the Russians to govern Russia, and to the extent that we can. We should help the, the Russians have a good government. But that will be a limited extent, right? And so it, it, if, if uh, Putin is actually planning to conquer France and Germany, he's going to need a different army. <laughs> oh, he's going to need a new war. army. Uh, this one, yeah. the, the dangerous part of this war is not that Russia is bleeding. That's actually in the strategic interest of the United States. It is that China understands that it is superior to Russia and that they they go for what you talked about last week, Manchuria. Because the their century of humiliation included a humiliation visited on them by the czars when the czars took all of China's eastern provinces north of the Yalu, uh, north of whatever that river is that they they have in Siberia. And they still have a grudge, and they need those resources. That's where this war yeah. could get very funny. And see, I, you know, uh, I, I would be slower than you to say that it's good for the world for any nuclear armed power to bleed or any power to bleed. Right? Peace is better. And and uh, you know, it's it uh, this this war that is shaping up now. See. That's because if, if you just list the causes, I'm not saying they're all there, and I'm not saying that I know there's going to be a war. I'm cautioned by Winston Churchill. The future, though imminent, is obscure. Huh. But but look look at what's going on. China Our friend Senator rattling. Cotton, we got to get Senator Cotton on for a special edition of the Hillsdale Dialogue to talk about Ukraine, because he's trying to hold yeah, the Republican okay. Party together on Ukraine. And there are centrifugal yeah. forces at work. Yeah, and and you know I don't I I I haven't uh, got to the bottom of what I think about Ukraine fully because it's just obvious to me that we should be trying to separate Russia from China, and what we're doing is driving them together. Well, that is obvious. And what they, what Xi has done is flip the Nixon script. All right, so Nixon took yeah. the weakest of the three great powers, Russia, China, and the United States, and he allied with them in the manner that Lord Salisbury would always do, ally with the, the weakest party in Europe so that you have a balance. And we have avoided that. Trump had it on his mind, but he was inelegant. He, he was not good at no, framing the, the Russia the rapprochement. Left, the left has forbidden that. Yes. Right? And, and you've got to remember... The Biden family is doing has done extensive business in the Ukraine. Right? What does that mean? What is that story about Joe Biden the VP telling him to call off the prosecution of that country, company with, with which Hunter Biden was involved? 
And so I look, I'm, I'm not uh, we're there now and we, we need to find a way to win that doesn't involve taking things from Russia that would mean World War Three. And Amen to that. When to we you- come back, we go back to Lord Roseberry for a final glance in the rearview mirror because they don't teach Roseberry anymore. But Winston Churchill sure thought him worth the t- attention. Stay tuned, America. I'll be back to conclude this week's Hillsdale Dialogue. The book of Exodus is one of the central narratives of the Bible. It recounts the moment when God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt and gives them the Ten Commandments to guide their moral and religious freedom. But how well do you actually know the story? In Hillsdale College's new, free, online course, The Exodus Story, you'll learn the spiritual significance of the Old Testament's most epic book. In The Exodus Story, Hillsdale College professor of English, Justin Jackson, picks up the biblical narrative where his course on Genesis ended. Join Dr. Jackson in learning about the nature of God's mercy, human freedom, and the relationship between the divine and man. Discover the beauty of God reclaiming the Israelites through his mercy and love in the Exodus story. To enroll today and secure your spot in this completely free online course, visit hillsdale.edu slash new course. That's N-E-W-C-O-U-R-S-E. Hillsdale.edu slash new course. Welcome back, America. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. Roseberry, Lord Roseberry, flourished in an age of great issues and small men, right, Churchill. He was swept away from power in 1895, never to hold office again. At first, they said, right, Churchill, he will come. Then for years, if only he would come. And finally, long after he had renounced politics forever, if only he would come back. Uh, A wistful kind of view about politics. And I wanted to ask you about this in particular, Dr. Arne. Roseberry's only consolation, writes Churchill, was to win the Derby as prime minister twice, running with Laura's and Servisto to the huge scandal of the nonconformist conscience. That is an elegant little sentence because the nonconformists are the radicals and the progressives and they're the uh, fundamentalist Christians and they can't abide an aristocrat running and playing the, the horses, right? That's such a vanished yeah. world. Uh... Uh, well, you know, you, you sent me an email about Charles Dill, yes. who's a contemporary of these guys, and his career founded on a scandal not unlike the kind that could go, you know, I mean, Charles Dilk was a bachelor, rich, a ladies' man, and this woman claimed that she had an affair at age 22 with him, and he had also had an affair with her mother, and so... Yeah, that was a juicy thing, right? And it cost him his career. And uh, I don't know if he did it or not. I know that some historians of the period think he didn't. Uh, I've ne- I had never, never heard mind. of him. I had never literally heard of him until rereading Great Contemporary. And Churchill thought he was going to be prime minister. Uh, yeah, that's right. And he was, and a lot of people did, because he was the real deal. When he reasoned about politics in his speeches, very serious man. And Winston Churchill learned from him. And so but Churchill isolates here why he wasn't up to the task. You know, and in the end, it was that he was not energetic enough and serious enough about politics 
to master what he needed to master to be a democratic politician. He was an aristocrat. And, and he, you know, Churchill, Churchill was the son of a duke, uh, the grandson of a duke, but Churchill was not an aristocrat, right? He, he didn't act like that. He didn't think like that. Roseberry did. And Churchill and Arthur Balfour, too, whom we'll read. But, and Churchill admired that, but he didn't have it. Joseph Chamberlain is, we're going next week to Joseph Chamberlain. He's not an aristocrat. And Churchill gets along both with Roseberry and Joseph Chamberlain. It's, it's fascinating yeah. that he can get along with everybody who's smart. Yeah, and some dumb ones too. But, uh, you know, especially the smart ones, you're right. And he, like uh, Churchill, he, Churchill believed that words are real things and they matter. And so a good conversation is an excellent event to him. And the people he had them with, he didn't forget about that. And, and many of them didn't either. So that was, uh, you know, he was, uh, you know, if, if, if we read many of these things, we'll find out. Churchill is not given to praising himself. Uh, but these things, that, these faults that he finds in these people... The worst fault of all is in next week, Joe Chamberlain. These faults, he he notices them, which is a sign that he understands them and tries not to have them. I want to I want to bait the hook for next week. Joe Chamberlain quote: "Joe was the one who made the weather." Close quote. And you just mentioned yeah, yeah. Churchill doesn't compliment himself very much, but he says in there, and we'll come back to this next week that. Um, very few people ever achieve the height of the English tradition of not taking politics into private life, as did Winston Churchill and Joseph Chamberlain. He holds himself up as an ideal, which he very rarely does, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And he, he, you can see why he would do that, too. He wants to preserve that in his own life and with the people he deals with. Wouldn't he that be a wonderful a thing to have back? Oh, yeah. Wouldn't it, though? I mean, really, it, uh, uh, you know, like, uh, just because you vote different for somebody doesn't mean that they're murderers. And, uh, you know, and, you know, how common is it for people to be accused of genocide? Of genocide, right. Of being yeah. racist, sexist, awful, horrible. And then it's very hard to have the conversation at, at dinner that he talks about having with Chamberlain on the boat and putting aside all that. And it's a lost quality. Maybe by reading this, we'll encourage people to remember that public life and private life are different spheres and they need not always conflict. It would be a good thing if they didn't. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be back on Monday. Generalissimo has done a fine job this week. Next week, we are going to be talking about Joseph Chamberlain. And do not miss that show, because Joseph Chamberlain is genuinely one of the most interesting people you have never heard much about. And I'm going to talk to him about with uh, Larry R. next week. Don't miss that show. Thanks for listening to the Hillsdale Dialogues presented by Hillsdale College. For more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, or Ricochet. For more information about Hillsdale College, head to hillsdale.edu.